Welcome back into one of these years, our Detroit Lions podcast. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Nick Baumgartner. Thanks to everyone who listened last week, our new uh, and most listened to episode. Almost like something big happened uh, around the team. <laughs> last oh, there week. we go. Yeah. Uh, but we do appreciate it. Obviously, it's. Uh, as always, remind you to rate, review, subscribe us on, uh, or subscribe to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you're listening. Um, thanks to everyone who's tuned in so far. Thanks to everyone also who's picked up subscriptions to the Athletic uh, ever, but especially over the last few weeks, uh, we definitely noticed a lot of you coming to check things out over uh, Thanksgiving weekend as things kind of snowballed for the Lions here and. Week one of the Daryl Bevel era as success as the Lions come from behind to beat the Bears. So, Nick, uh, I don't know. We heard all week about the new vibe in the building and Bevel playing music loud throughout practice <laughs> and players yeah. feeling the weight off their shoulders a little bit. Um, is Do you buy into that as the reason that they won? Or do you think this happens anyway because it's uh, the Bears? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the re- I mean... The playing music and being, you know, I doubt that's the reason they won. Uh, you can't really boil it down to that because at the same time, you know, they were down, you know, kind of significantly in this game and had to have some things happen, um, you know, to pull to pull this off. So it's like, you know, I don't think it's all boiled down to just the simple case of like, you know, they just felt more relaxed and whatever, so they played better. But I, I think that that's certainly part of it. And I think that, you know, kind of what we wrote yesterday a little bit about, Bevel said this, Daryl Bevel said this several times um, in his post game. He was talking a mile a minute. He was pretty excited. So it was hard to, <laughs> right, <laughs> to sort yeah. of boil it all out. But like uh, the things about not measuring the game, just go play. You know, just don't, you know, and that's easier said than done sometimes. And, you know, that can help sometimes with consistent effort. And I think it showed a couple things. I think it showed that the guys certainly were ready for a new message, um, ready for a new perspective. And I think it showed that. They also really are a close team. You know, they, they are, you know, they're not a good team. You know, I don't think anybody's going to sit here and call them a good team, but they're a close team. You know, they work, they've worked through this whole pandemic year together. I think that probably bonds people uh, in a way that, you know, you and I and everybody listening probably can't understand because we're not in there. So, um, you know, I think that as much as anything allowed them to probably hold it together. And then, you know, there were things that obviously I think we saw differences with Matthew Stafford that certainly help as well. And the Bears also suck. So that's another <laughs> issue, too. So I think all of the above. And I think that it, it's, uh, you know, there were some feel-good vibes from him after the game. And I thought, you know what, that's pretty well-deserved. Daryl Bevel was super excited. I thought that was cool to see. And Stafford looked like he was, you know, as happy or as content, I guess, um, after a game as we've probably seen them all year. I mean, maybe the Atlanta game would be the other one that comes to mind. But other than that, you know, that felt like a Stafford that we've seen before during happier times. So, you know, all positive there. Yeah, I mean, I I think you mentioned the Atlanta game is interesting too because, I like, if Allen Robinson doesn't step out of bounds a yard short of the first down marker, uh, the Bears probably go in and score a game-winning touchdown and things feel pretty much the same at the end of this thing uh, despite despite the comeback. But, yeah, I mean, I think – to your point, there certainly was I, – I don't think you can dispute the fact that this team uh, – and Stafford said it too, and John Penasini said it. You know, Multiple guys said it last night. These They're playing for each other, and you saw that, um, mm-hmm. You know, the, just the sort of cathartic release of emotion as Peterson gets into the end zone and spikes the ball and the you know offensive linemen are jumping up and down and Stafford runs in there and jumps on guys like, – you could tell they were excited to get the lead back and to have, I mean, just in general, to have yeah. something good happen. Um, and then on top of the week that they had, 
I, I'm sure it, you know it. It all kind of came together and fell into place for an, a feel-good moment uh, in a season that hasn't produced too many of them. You know, I don't know that. I have people on Twitter now asking, "Well, is Bevel going to be a head coaching <laughs> candidate for this team?" And like, I don't, you know. One week where practice is a little happier and uh, yeah, <laughs> against the Bears isn't going to get you there. If they finish, if they go beat the Packers and really turn this into something down the stretch, then maybe you consider it. Uh, we can get into what Bevel's role here might be in the future. I mean, I think it's interesting to consider where he could play into the 2021 picture. But you know, I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't want to overdo. You know, kind of like the the ding dong, the witch is dead aspect. Of right. This, you know, yeah. like, cause I think that that's just piling on Patricia unnecessarily. I mean, I think that certainly there was a lighter feel around the building. I'm sure they needed it after two and a half seasons of not just Patricia's per- personality, but the results being what they yeah. were. So from that yeah, standpoint, I, I'm sure it felt different. Yeah. And I, I don't like Stafford's relationship with Patricia to me is always like, I don't know how big a deal it was or wasn't. I mean, you you were here in the first year and everything was bad, so I assume it was bad the first year. Um, you know, Stafford put on a put on the company face and said it wasn't. You know, as time went on, and you know, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Maybe it was better at the end than it was at the beginning. That's very possible. It seemed like that was the case in a couple instances with Patricia, and you know, so who knows, right? But at the same time, what we did see, I think, uh, and what you can say was different was that. Daryl Bevel, who knows Matthew, and we can say this for certain, Daryl Bevel, who knows Matthew Stafford a lot better than Matt Patricia probably did, um, pushed the only button that you really ever need to push with Matthew Stafford, which is, hey, man, uh, why don't you go out there and cut it loose for four quarters and we'll see what happens (laughs) at the end. I don't care if you screw up and throw an interception or two. Go do what we pay you to do. And that's what he did. I mean, like, we, we, we went through it the whole game, right? Like, the... The numbers about the intended uh, the intended yards per target were just like the best they've been all year by a mile. They were they were right up there where they were at the beginning of last year when he first started working with Bevel, and I think that was part of their sort of plan. And I think when you saw them go into this season, it was more about you know, hey, Stafford probably realizing like if this is going to work at all uh, with Patricia's sort of approach to how we play football here, in that you know we want to bleed clock, we want to you know keep ourselves in favorable down to distance with the run game. We want to keep the defense off the field. All those things limit possessions. Uh, you can't make any mistakes. You can't ever turn the ball over. You can't, you can't, you can't miss a third down conversion. So I think a lot of that was probably, it seemed like anyway, it was weighing in in his head. And I think if you boil it all that all down, I think Bevel just sort of said, get rid of all that. We're just going to go play. And we're not going to measure the game. And I think when he says measure the game, it's, Maybe about, you know, with your effort, you know, make sure you're giving the same effort regardless of time and score and everything else. But also, like, we're not going to just do everything that, you know, everything we do isn't going to go into the same plan of like, well, we have to do it this way or we're not doing it at all. And that's sort of how Patricia coached. I mean, if we can be honest, it was all part of a, everything worked together in part of a really large plan that never really ever worked. And I think Bevel said, we're not going to do that. We're just going to go play football. And that's what we saw. And that's really the that's really the frustration here, and I guess that's why you make the move on Patricia when you did, because they just refused to take the easiest route to a win possible, which was to rely on Stafford, and that's what we saw against a team that they're not worse than. I don't think they're worse than the Bears. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I don't think that it's like I mean, you know, that was a game. Yeah, that was a game. They, <laughs> it's a bad right. football team. In, too. in week one, you make the case if you cut it loose and let Stafford go out there and attack. I mean, he obviously likes matchups against those corners. We saw that. 
Mm-hmm. You probably would. You probably blow them out, and maybe Patricia's still here. So I think there's something to be said about that too. And you know, knowing your quarterback, boy, oh boy, does that help. And I think that knowing your players, you know, like knowing what they can give you if you just push the right button. I think sometimes that's. Uh, I think obviously now we look back on it. That's you know part of what Patricia was missing. Yeah, Stafford finished thirteen point one. Uh, air yards per pass attempt, mm-hmm. um, which is the you know the Amazing. distance covered from when yeah. he lets go of the ball to where he's throwing it. Uh, for Forty people who aren't familiar with that step, so thirteen point one, which was higher than any game in the Patricia era, right? Um, and but it all it wasn't that far off of. Uh, if you go back to the start of last year, I mean, he had a bunch of these games like 12.0 uh, yards against the mm-hmm. Chiefs, uh, 12.2 mm-hmm. against the Giants. I mean, he had a bunch of these in a row where he was at at or above 10 yard air yards per attempt in a game. And that was when, you know, we were talking about Stafford as a potential MVP candidate. Yeah, we were talking about him as yeah. looking great in this offense. And uh, if you go back another year and get uh, Jim Bob Cooter had a 3.8 air yards per attempt game in there with Stafford. So uh, that's pretty special. But um, if you go, you know, I don't know what happened. I guess that's what we've been trying to figure out, I guess, ever since the start of the season is that, you know, the the year started and Stafford's, they just didn't throw downfield. And I think it probably does go back to the mentality. And I wrote about it when Patricia got fired, you know, the looking back on his uh, comment of, uh, more games in the NFL are lost than won uh, is a is a conservative way to look at things, and I think right. that's probably what happened. You know, I'm gonna go watch the all 22 or whatever mm-hmm. the Soldier Field version of the all 22 <laughs> can be bad. called yeah. uh, after we're done here and see. But you know, how many games do we hear Stafford say, "Well, I couldn't throw deep. They were dropping two safeties. They were dropping right. three guys deep." And I I'm assuming the <laughs> I mean the Bears at least had one safety over the top most of the time. Right. Um, you know, they didn't Greg Williams it the whole game and just go cover zero and fire everyone. Uh, what a mess. God. So something changed, and I, yeah. I think you're right. I think it probably was just the mentality of being uh, a little looser, being a little more aggressive, and just getting from, we can't, let's do everything we can to not lose this game, to yes. just go sling it. And we'll, whatever happens, who cares? Yeah, and I think that that's the thing. And I think, you know, we talked so much last week, and even you and I talked a lot about, you know, is do we think this is actually going to look any different? And real, realistically, you know, it can't look that much different in terms of – Corey Unlin said that. He wasn't wrong, that you can't change everything that you do that you've had installed um, completely and totally, but you can use, you know, different, you know, things in terms of wrinkles. And they did throw a few in there. I mean, there was a couple things with Agnew earlier in the game that, that Bevel called that – He's called in previous games, but, you know, maybe not as early. Um, so there were some things, and health obviously permitting, I think it'd been interesting to see if Swift was out there. But really, I think, again, the one thing that I, Chris, I don't think I really realized it, or I don't know if it ever sunk into me, that all you really need to do is just tell Stafford, you don't have to worry about fitting this into the plan anymore. Just go play. And I think that that was all that I, I don't know, and we'll probably never get that answer from Stafford, and we'll probably never get it from Pebble either. But, like... It may have been that simple. It may have been like even like them looking at each other on Monday and being like, okay, well, we know what we're going to do now because we talk about it every week and the previous seven. Boy, wouldn't it be nice (laughs) if we could take, you know, boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could take a couple more shots? Because the thing you have to remember, you know, when they do, Bevel's not lying when he says they call shots a lot with Stafford and they do it, you know, in similar situations and they do it in different parts on the field. And, you know, all those shots also have underneath stuff and they have checkdowns and they have things underneath that you can 
you know, look toward. And I think what we saw from Stafford, at least in the first six weeks of this season, was a guy who was looking down, not deep. Even mm-hmm. if it was if it was even remotely questionable whether he could get the ball there, he wasn't throwing it. And I think you saw yesterday he didn't care about any of that. <laughs> so it was <laughs> right. just like if right. I think if I think I can get it there, I'm going to try it. I mean, the, the route to Cephas was the best example in my mind where it was Cephas got like seven yards down the field, and I don't even know if it was one of those nine routes, but he got like seven yards down the field, and he's lined up against Kyle Fuller, who Stafford likes to pick on or he has in the past. I mean, he did it earlier this season. Um, and he said, just go, and he threw it to the byline, and he caught a touchdown, and that was it. And it was like, he liked that matchup for whatever reason, and they took advantage of it, and boom. And so I think he was just playing more loose, and I don't know if that's going to carry them to anything different moving forward, but for one day, you know, it certainly uh, left him smiling and left everybody else smiling too, so, you know, they'll take it. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I think looked, if there's anything that looked different to me besides just sort of Stafford's overall approach to the game, I mean, I think Marvin Jones seemed to be going vertical a lot more than he had in some of these other games. Like, a lot mm-hmm. of his catches have been coming on, you know, crossing routes and stuff where he was sitting it down in front of the safeties and just, yeah. you know, 10, 12-yard looks where that's what you're going to get if you complete it, 10, 12 yards. And then even a couple of those incompletions Sunday, uh, you know, the one was Stafford just heaved it. I mean, there it was like triple bracket coverage on Marvin yeah. Jones, and Stafford just chucked it up there, and it wound up incomplete. But... To your point, I think that those are throws that he was not making earlier in the year. And I think no. you're right. Uh, you know, even the Cephas one, um, I mean, I think he probably, I don't know, like four weeks ago, he probably scrambles for like three yards on that play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, now you're taking a shot and you get a touchdown. And it's just, I don't know. Again, I don't want to put it all on Patricia. I, I think certainly the overall approach Patricia had and the game plan he wanted to implement probably neutered this offense quite a bit and reined in Stafford a bit but I I mean I do think that there probably was some of that's probably on Stafford too yeah I agree I I mean I don't think it's all just Patricia hammering home to him what don't don't ever throw deep you know we can't take any shots ever Uh, I think some of it was probably just on Stafford too but um, yeah I mean it was uh, it was (laughs) definitely something to watch I mean selfishly like they wa- they wound up getting the ball back and scoring uh, after the Romeo Okora strip sack. You know, it was just the, the Peterson ran it mm-hmm. in. Selfishly, I was like, just as someone who enjoys watching football, I was kind of hoping they'd get a stop and get the ball back to Stafford with like a minute left, just so to we see could see it. what yeah, would yeah, happen yeah. because he's so fun in those spots. Right? Yeah, that would have been cool. I mean, like that, and that's a great point about some of that's got to be on him as well. And you know, I th- and it was just a weird first half of the season, and you know, we attribute a lot of that to COVID and. The pandemic being, you know, such a factor every week and nobody knowing what the hell's going on. And I feel like we've all probably gotten better dealing with that sort of thing to, you know, by whatever week this is than we were in September. And I think that's probably the truth for the players, too. But, you know, it did seem like Stafford was really weighing this whole like and almost even from the start here, maybe I I don't know about the Jim Bob Cooter year, but really last year and this year, there were times where it felt like he was weighing, you know, do I cut it loose and take a shot here or do I reel it back in and try to help the team? And I want to help the team. And I know that our defense isn't very good. And I know that if, if I'm taking shots and I'm not delivering on them and we're getting these quick three and outs and we're punting in 30 seconds, then that's going to be a disaster. And so part of me does think, uh, agree with you completely on the, you know, maybe he should have been taking, the, it should have said, screw it and just take the shots or force it a little bit more, or press the issue a little bit more, but also I can understand, 
you know, I can sort of understand him trying to be a, a team guy. I mean, I, Patricia's plan was it had no room, wiggle room. And if it was going to work, it needed to go exactly. You know, I mean, we've talked about this so many times. And I don't think I don't think I don't think Stafford went into this year being like, I hope we can get Patricia fired here. I don't think I don't think that was the right. case. Yeah. I think he went into it thinking like, I'm going to do what I'm told. Uh, you know, like he's trying, you know, he being Matt Patricia, he's trying. I'm going to do what I'm told. He's trying to put this thing together. I'm going to try to make it work. And I think what you saw with the frustration boiling over this year wasn't necessarily the case of, boy, these guys just hate Matt Patricia. Maybe they do. <laughs> but like, I think it was, boy, they got, these guys just hate this plan because it doesn't work. And like, right. I think that that's really what it was. And that was the pressure relief to me from where I'm sitting. Because at the end of the day, these guys are pros. I mean, this has been a... This team has been like that all year. All these guys that we've talked to, there haven't, there really hasn't been anybody. And it's Zoom and it's not the locker room, so I know it's different. But I, I just don't know if there's been anybody that's been like snippy or snotty or, you know, like letting something bubble over to a point where they're purposely telling us things that can damage, you know, the, the coaching staff, which was not always the case here in previous years, as you know. So uh, I don't know. It's a weird situation, but, you know, it got a win on one day anyway. Yeah, the only one that sort of stands out is just whatever's happening with Kenny Galladay. But even yeah, that, sure. you know, but that's Bevel's, a separate, it almost Bevel feels said like, yeah. this week, like I love his presence in the building. He's coming mm-hmm. in and working. And so like, I mean, yep. and maybe that, <laughs> maybe that is because Patricia is not. But yeah, I mean, I think they did work hard to Patricia and Bob Quinn to, to get the locker room sorted to this point. Um, they tried, there is a yeah. lot of good veteran leadership there. I'll say for Stafford, I don't, yeah, I don't know that he and Patricia got along. I don't think they're best friends or anything. Right. I do think that on both ends, they just respected the hell out of each other for Stafford is a guy that if you put in the work, right. He will be happy to have you around or maybe not happy, but he's certainly willing to work with you to make the team better. And it didn't pan out, but Patricia put in probably more hours than maybe anyone in football uh, for better or worse. And so I think Stafford noticed that and he mentioned it on several occasions, like Patricia was, was grinding through it. Um, and so I think there was at least some mutual respect there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they just needed a win more than anything. And, and it, uh, I will say the bears may have regret. I mean, there were definitely some Josephus <laughs> touchdown looked like it probably was a, a cover one situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they had some opportunities downfield uh, where the Bears just had the single high safety. That I mean, they did also take some shots against, you know, cover two, cover three. They found some holes there. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I don't think it was uh, quite as much of a shell maybe as the Lions have seen other right. games. So maybe right. that, I'm sure that played into this equation too. But um, anyway, uh, Stafford definitely looked a little looser. Chris Spielman kept talking about how uh, Stafford was like smiling before the game. Yeah, he said it <laughs> like seven was... times. So, and they showed it too on the on the camera a couple times. So I thought that was weird. Uh, so I, I mean, I want to move on and make sure we hit on some other stuff, but we almost can't talk about Stafford right now without looking ahead to what this is going to be because ju- just every time he comes up. Uh, the future comes up (laughs) at this point you know we're into december he's got uh two years plus avoidable year left on a contract that's gonna be a lot against the lion's cap next year 33 million Mm -hmm. he's in his mid-30s you know this will be could be a a big rebuild depending on what the next coach and gm want to take on 
I mean, we we can do yeah. this for months. We probably the, he's got uh, a roster bonus, ten million dollar roster bonus due in uh, March, early March, which right. is always kind of a you know. I guess if you're gonna, I can't imagine they cut him, but I guess yeah. if you're gonna, if you're gonna move him, him though, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, right. If you're going to move him, if you're going to try and cut him, that's the sort of you'd like to do it before then. Right. Um, so we've got at least two to three months of talking about this. What's your uh, yeah. gut um, feeling right now? So I think right now it's impossible because we don't know who the coach will be and we don't know who the GM will be. And, you know, we don't know what other decisions on the roster, I guess, maybe they'll want to make. But, you know, you look at that number and it's 19 million, I think it is. Right, like the dead cat. If you if you trade him before right. June first, yep. so if, and like you said, if you trade him like before free agency or like late winter, early spring, like late February or March, or I don't can you I don't even know if you can do that. I don't know what the what the calendar says, but if you traded him around that time, I think it would be 19, <laughs> 19 million in dead money, which is a just a shitload. I mean, like that's still a lot of money. It's not thirty three or whatever it was if they would have moved him this year or after. I think after June first, it goes way up again. So it's like it's a ton of money. And I don't think that that would probably be anything that a new GM would want to take on immediately as he starts sort of guiding through this whole thing with also, you know, under consideration that maybe, you you know, if you get a quarterback in this draft and let Stafford mentor him for a year, maybe that would maybe that would help, too, because I think Stafford would probably be OK with that. I, maybe not. I don't know, but I think he'd be OK with that for, for the most part. Um, but the hard part, though, and this is why it probably has to be examined by the next GM um, and certainly the coach as well is that he is the most you're not going to get they need everything right so you could trade Stafford in in March or whatever or February there's not another player on the roster other than maybe Galladay that I guess that would return more right is there anybody else that we're thinking like he would be like number 1 no, not so close, yeah. so you're you you're looking at premium draft picks um I would think you know how, what are we thinking what would a Stafford trade include Chris do you think in like March of next year in you mm-hmm. know in theory yeah, I was just trying to like pick through the uh, dates because I don't want to tell people wrong. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. So in that ballpark, so right, yeah, right. so it'd be ni- nineteen million because that's what they have left on his signing bonus, right. essentially. You know, so that's that's prorates out over the whole mm-hmm. term of the thing, which is why that voidable years on there because it's three right. million on the twenty twenty three cap, even though he's not technically under contract right. that year. So they have nineteen million locked up, no matter what they do on the signing bonus. Mm-hmm. The extra ten million dollar roster bonus, um, generally those kick in like the second or third day after the league year yeah. uh, starts over. So I think it is like it'd be like March in March, yeah, right. or something um, of twenty twenty one when they'd owe him if he's still on the team at that date. They owe him ten million dollars on top of everything else right. they owe him. So, yeah. but if you move him, um, that goes away. That goes with him. That mm-hmm. ten million goes with him. So it'd still be just the nineteen million dollar hit, and then the next team would take on the 10 uh, yeah. the the roster bonuses in theory and then the base salaries and all that mm-hmm. stuff so um uh, trade value yeah 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 uh i mean i think just sort of based on precedent and you know i know mike sando kind of compared it to the carson palmer did, trade yeah, if, which was a great, while yeah. ago which brought back mm-hmm. um what were the exact terms there there was a first rounder involved there was at least sure. one um, first rounder yeah and i think that the reason that you're probably talking about a first-round pick. Other than that, Stafford still is, as we've seen, can be a very good quarterback. I think he'd be really good on a playoff team. Yeah. 
is that you probably would be trading him to a playoff team. Exactly. Or, uh, you're, not, you're not trading him to the Jaguars while they're rebuilding. Right. You're trading him to... The Colts or something. You know, yeah. the Colts or, yeah, New Orleans. If Drew Brees retires and they don't Denver, want to face him. Yeah, right. Denver, San Francisco, uh, like some team that's going to be or should be in the hunt next year. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a pick in theory. Uh, if you're getting one back, you know, if you're getting picks for this draft, you're it's probably going to be in the 20s. Yes. And if you're looking ahead to the year after, it's probably going to be in the 20s or 30s right. and then low in round two. So teams certainly are more willing to give up those first rounders than a top 10 first rounder. And so I think that that's realistic. If you're talking with those teams that are contenders, if you're talking with those teams that are picking in the 20s, I think that's where you start. You try and get a you know a first and a, I don't know, first and a third, first and some package of stuff. Um and just go from there. You know, again, I don't know yeah. if that's going to get you where you need to go. I don't either. Trading yeah. your franchise quarterback for the 25th pick and a couple of day two selections. But if you're really tearing this thing down, I mean, that's that's what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about that the next GM and coach comes in and just says, we're done with all this. Right. We need to start completely over. And they just start trading pretty much anyone yeah, who's of yeah. any value at all. Uh, and that's what, you know, we kind of talked after the game Sunday. You know, people are always, at this time of year, there's always kind of a, a group of the fan base that gets into a tank mode, you know, and wants the team to lose. Right. Jesus. The team and the coach don't really do that because the, everyone's professionals. They're showing up. They're playing hard. They're coaching for the jobs. GMs can tank. A GM yes, they can, can throw yeah. in the towel <laughs> real quick. Yeah, right. This roster just deal with it for a year. Yeah, and I think that's what we're talking about. If you trade Stafford, yeah, I, I like the way I've sort of looked at it is, you know, if you're going to do it, um, then your reward needs to be. I feel like it probably maybe considering the the hamstring you're going to have there with the cap number, then I would I would feel like it would almost have to be. The, the return would have to be high enough to where you could turn that around and then make sure that you're getting Justin Fields at the worst. I don't know. Like, is that even possible? I don't like, or, or Wilson from BYU. Like that would be, if you scout those guys, if you're the next GM and you come in and you say, I think, I think Wilson or Fields, cause you're not getting to one. I think Wilson or Fields are, you know, is a generational player. And we have to do whatever we have to do to get him. And I want to start over right now. Then I think it would make. And if you can take Stafford and flip whatever your return is plus whatever, and if if that this is these are all ifs and super hypotheticals because I just you just don't know as we sit right now. That would be you know an avenue that would I would think need to be explored. And I, that's why I don't think anything would ever have to be could ever really be off the table. That's why you know it could be a rocky couple months because I don't know if the Lions are even going to have that answer until they get you know closer down the road here, at least until after the season and everybody's been hired. But if you can't, if you're not really in position, like if they go out and win a couple more games here, and like you're really not going to be in position to go up and get a quarterback in those top couple picks, then no, then I would just say I think I would just hold on to them. I would still invest in a quarterback draft pick pretty high. Um, and I, you know, knowing that you're probably not going to get, you know, Fields and or Lawrence, I suppose. Uh, but uh, you know, and then in that sense, I guess you could go into the next year where it would be, I guess, maybe you could have that conversation again. I don't know, you know, uh, maybe he'd still have value. I don't know, but you know, best case scenario there in the in the perfect world, I guess, would be is you draft a quarterback this year high. You tell Stafford, we want you to 
be a soldier here one more year and help these guys and help this kid out and everything else. And then maybe the year after that, when the number goes down, you could trade him and see what happens. But you, you know, we don't live in a perfect world. So I don't know if everything, you know, will align exactly right. So I think this is like you said at the top, this is probably a discussion that we'll have many times and one that will sound different many times because moving parts are still moving. And, you know, we just don't know what anything is going to look like in terms of draft order or whatever else. Or, you know, or even the market for quarterbacks. I don't know. Who knows, right? So, you know, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Yeah, and that's that's why uh, there's just so much to try and unpack there. Um, and, and I think that, like, I, I guess if you're really just saying we're – forget 2021. We want to focus on beyond that. We need to rebuild this roster for a year yeah, and trade yeah. him. And then you start – I mean, I haven't – I don't even know who the 2022 quarterbacks no, are, no. but you've got to have that. Yeah. Like, you got to have that yeah. conversation. Um, I don't think at this moment that it's going to be a Trevor Lawrence, you know, Justin Fields bonanza at the top of the 2020 yeah. draft, but who knows? Uh, and then, yeah. So then you're talking about like, how do we even get through next year? It's, it's probably chase Daniel and you maybe draft someone yeah. and you go Jeez. sign someone cheap and you just lose uh, every game. <laughs> and then the <laughs> challenge there yeah, right. is that's, that kind of hamstrings you when you're talking about bringing in a coach. It does. You're going to bring in one of these up and coming guys who is getting his first shot and you're telling him, well, we're, we think we're going to trade your QB. We're just going to sit here uh, for a year. And we're going to try and go <laughs> one in 15 next year. Yeah. Like, right. Who's taking that? You know, you got to right. go get your Ron Gardenhire <laughs> to go oversee a garbage team for a couple of years. Um, like, I don't think that's a thing in football. Like, no, I, just I don't, don't think it yeah, is either. Right. Like the, Brian Flores, I guess, kind of did it in Miami, and now he's a coach of the year candidate. That's sort of the dream, I guess, if you yeah, go tank mode. Yeah. You just find a guy there. who happens to be awesome, and it's like, go ahead and give me a crap roster. I'm still going to grind through it and see what happens. But, like, yeah, that's ooh, tough so. Yeah, so I, I mean, I still think that we're a year away from when the Stafford trade talks are really going to happen, mm-hmm. but I guess we'll see. I mean, I guess it depends, obviously, on who's coming in as GM and coach. I, I think, you know, if you get through this year and you do draft a quarterback and he's got one year left on his deal after the 2021 season, right. uh, then you then you can start doing that. It's tough. It's still tough for me to see it right now, but um, I guess you keep everything on the table when you change your regime. So. Yeah. Uh, all right. Like I said, we've got plenty of time oh, yeah, to talk yeah, about that. Um, so uh, I guess let's get back into this year's team. They're five and seven now. They're one game know, out of I the playoffs. One game out of the playoffs. They also now have the twelfth pick in the draft. So you sort of yeah, you're sort of starting moving into that territory where you don't want to be. Yeah, uh, where you're just stuck in between. But this, as we've said a few times, these last four are gonna be tough not the same uh, as you got, right, <laughs> get yeah. even one let alone three or four uh packers and then uh was packers titans bucks, bucks vikings, vikings yep. i think is the order yep. of it so um is there anything like what's your do you feel like this is something that they can carry over uh, i guess is my question like is yeah. what happened in chicago was that just like a nice moment for daryl bevel and for this team because they've been working hard or are we gonna see real legitimate progress over the last four weeks of the season i think that we're probably going to look back and say that was a really nice moment for daryl bevel (laughs) and like and and i think that that's totally fine because i think that and i know you could say this we've spent some time with daryl bevel over the last year or two and everybody who works with daryl bevel likes him a lot and he's a super nice guy and he's worked his whole life to have a chance and i think daryl bevel's probably realistic too right and knowing that 
you know what? Like, if they told me I have a shot, I'm going to take the shot. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, whatever, I'll move on and we'll figure this out. But, like, I think that that's sort of what we're seeing here. I just, because, again, if you go back and look at that game, even yesterday, and, and keeping in mind that the Bears aren't any good, uh, and, you know, I mean, shoot, they might be going through a coaching change here soon, too. So, I mean, like, you know, the worst, the worst rushing team in the league is just gashing you for, like, five or six yards of carry for the first three quarters of the game, right? And it's like... And you look out there and you say, well, uh, it wasn't scheme on defense. I think we can certainly say that because it was personnel. They don't have nearly enough in the front seven to combat anything, anyone with Delvin Cook on their roster can throw at you. So there's a loss. Probably the same with Green Bay, I would say. Yeah, and, Aaron Jones. Right. And, and and probably certainly the same with Derrick Henry. So here's three, you know, and, and on you go. <laughs> so like maybe the Bucks are is a manageable game, but... I just, they can't stop the run. I mean, they just can't do it. And you can't play defense. You just can't, you can't play defense in this league if you can't stop the run. And you can't play defense in any league, really, if you can't stop the run. But on top of that, as you go to the back end and you say, well, you'd at least have a chance, maybe, if your secondary was really, really tight and really good and like was shutting people down and just not giving up anything easy. But that is also not the case. So uh, it's hard. It's really hard for me to see this carrying into anything, you know, workable in terms of momentum because it's just the, the D, Stafford would have to be out of his mind. I think that I think I go right back to where we were in August when we were talking about this, um, you know, maybe what this could look like, and you know, when we got frustrated throughout the year that why isn't it looking like this? Um, Stafford would have to be unconscious, basically, I think, for it to carry over into anything. Uh, that would, you know, perk anybody's ear up or say, oh, geez, I mean, like, you know, what's going to happen here? And I'm not saying that that's impossible, but you're going to get scored on a lot. So he <laughs> over these next four weeks, he's going to have to put up big numbers. They're going to have to get Swift back, and Galladay's going to have to come back and play. That's the only way, and if you can just load up and say, okay, Galladay's back, Swift's back, Stafford now is in mode of, like, let's cut it loose and let's see what happens. We've got... Marvin Jones out here still working for a contract. Amendola is not going to st- stop playing hard until, you know, you pretty much put him in the ground. Hawkinson is still going along. So you the offense would need to turn into, like, one of the most powerful units in the league. <laughs> so I think that that's what I'm saying here for this to work. And I just don't... To, yeah, we're back to, right back to that. Yeah, and I just... We've seen too much in terms of inconsistencies with the offensive line and guys not, not being able to be healthy. It sounded like Swift was making progress last week and then got sick for a different reason other than COVID, which was probably disappointing. Maybe maybe he's in a good place. Maybe he can get back out there. I don't know. Uh, Galladay, I don't know. But, you know, those that's what you're looking at. I think right now you're looking at the injury report and hoping guys can come back and maybe the offense can catch fire. Um, but otherwise, I just don't see it. I mean, what would they realistically need to do if we look at this revamped playoff picture? <laughs> uh, or this extended one, I guess, right? Because it's like oh, it's a new God. new world that we're talking about here. What would realistically need to happen? Do we know this for them to like? What would they need to do over these next? Would they need to win them all? Would they need to win out? I assume probably they needed that Steelers Ravens game to get canceled. They needed so to get canceled. Eight yeah. playoff teams. <laughs> uh, I think they need to go. I mean, they probably need to win yeah. out. They need to go bare minimum three and one and hope for a bunch of help. Uh, I mean, yeah. I. I don't think it doesn't seem realistic. At I all. guess if yeah. you get through the Packers, like if you somehow pull this off against Green Bay, then you kind of start talking about right. it as a more realistic so. outcome. Yeah, at fair. this point, I just you mentioned those games and particularly the matchups defensively. Oh, I God. mean, 
I just don't see any way. I mean, we saw what the Packers did to them the first time this year. We've seen what Minnesota's done to them Ugh. time and again. Derrick Henry. I mean, I'm assuming Brady will have a decent game against them as Probably, well. Although yeah. that was the one that was like the best Matt Patricia defensive right, game yeah. was against the Patriots. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I guess you do. I mentioned in our game story, you kind of give you got to give at least a little bit of credit to Corey Unlin and the defense for the second half sure. Sunday. They gave up seven points. They got just shredded in the first half. It looked like Trubisky was going to throw for 450. Yeah. And then the second half, they gave up uh, seven, and it was helped. You know, they got uh, Chicago's first drive of the second half. They had a false start penalty, and then they scored on the next one. Then they had a holding penalty. Yeah, it was helped big time for sure. A couple yeah. sacks. You know, they had, Lions had the one sack to, to shut down a drive, and then uh, obviously the strip sack by Okora, but, and somehow got the run stop at the end of the game. But – um, you know, the Lions did something, um, and again, get into the, the tape here and see if I can figure it out. The Lions did something to uh, at least stabilize mm-hmm. the thing after halftime. But, yeah, I mean, there's just not – your only hope, really, um, you, you catch a couple of those teams on bad days. You maybe get some turnovers like the Okora one um, or when Kyler Murray threw three picks in Arizona. You know, you, right. you got to have that happen. Um, you've got to get Trey Flowers back. I think, like yep. at least against the run, he gives you a chance. Um, but yeah, I mean, the secondary is sort of what it is. Amani Oruwariye is scrapping out there, but you're asking him to be a number one cornerback every week because you don't really have a number two cornerback right now. And Justin Coleman's been bad at slot, and so it's right. it's yeah. I mean, Jamie Collins, uh, you know, had some nice moments certainly, but. You know, he's not down. taking yeah. over games or anything. Um, they just have yeah, to hang in. Like it would have to be. Yeah, right. And that's the big thing is like you you go back to, I mean, damn. I mean, we saw last night or yesterday even like they you know the Bears did the same thing Green Bay did to the Lions in the week like week two where you get in the red zone. Will Harris is on the field or Jared Davis is on the field or the Lions aren't ready to play and they run up to the line and get and catch everyone quick and get an easy. You know, like that's the stuff where it's like you look at that and you're like. Do they have enough guys who can get off blocks? And the answer is no. Like that's like especially in the current health situation that they're in. Like, yeah, Flowers would help obviously, and maybe Deshaun Hand. But like, you just look across the board and you're like, you just don't see it. Not enough. And it just feels like it would be a super uphill climb for this to turn into anything that you know is something people will remember other than like, well, you know, that was a cool day against Chicago. Maybe they get one more, you know, you know, maybe they get one more, maybe even two. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I don't know if it'll matter in the end. And then, like, I guess before we move on to anything else, like, do you want to touch on Bevel as a possible? I don't see it. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know. I have no idea what the forwards <laughs> are going to do or think. I mean, it, it would really make not a lot of sense to me at all. Um, I, I don't I don't really think his offense is probably where you want to go moving forward but a lot of that would depend on the quarterback too so i, I it's hard to say are you talking about him as a possible head coach or as uh, a both possible i would OC? say yeah, i would say both and, and maybe that would be something where if you hired a defensive coach you know maybe that would be a thing where you'd say well we got this thing and if stafford's coming back you know i could see that i guess that's possible you know so yeah i think that's possible mm-hmm. especially if they've especially if stafford of that game against chicago plays that way down the yeah, stretch yeah, good here point. looks good like point. he did in the first half last year and you say well that you know if we keep swift healthy if we re-sign galladay like this could be pretty good and then i think that yeah like you said if you hire one of those defensive minded head coaches who 
is going to need to bring in an offensive coordinator or something, maybe he says, all right, I feel pretty good about what this offense is. Yeah. Um, for right now or let's whatever. Give it yeah. A shot yeah. For a year yeah. and see where it takes us. Uh, I think that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't know how likely it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Daryl Bevel's offense is some like game changing scheme that the NFL's no. having to adjust no. to. I mean, I think it, Opposite. it can work. Opposite. I think it's yeah, interesting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting with Stafford. Um, and as we've seen, it's got some potential to kind of unlock some things in the passing attack. And again, with Swift too, I think it, it becomes really interesting. But that to me is where it ends. I mean, I guess if you go, I, I don't even think we need to talk about this, but I guess if you go four and one or five and oh, yeah, right. by some miracle of miracles and you're yeah. uh, in a spot where you get to the playoffs, like... You almost have to do something. An interview, yeah, you right? you've got to yeah. do something. You'd be like, "What him. happened here? Yeah, what did you what did you do?" Um, right? Because he will have pulled out a miracle. Uh, just, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would have been. It'd be unbelievable. Yeah, right. Like it'd be an incredible accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. to do that. Um, almost, so I think at that point, almost good enough to where I would say, Daryl Bevel, you might want to just retire right now, and like <laughs> yeah, never, and just leave it. it. Like a, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. I mean, I think it's four and one, five and zero. Oh, you've got to go down that road a little bit. Maybe, it, mm-hmm. maybe if you finish with a couple more wins here, you say, all right, these guys really seem to like this guy. Right. Uh, he he's been an offensive coordinator for years and years. Maybe we just interview him because he's here, and we can't talk to anyone yeah, else. Right. Uh, like we can't bring anyone in to do face-to-face interviews anyway. We may as well see what he has to say. Yeah, um, and I think that that could happen. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up getting a an interview for the head coaching job. Um, but yeah, I just don't. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't. That doesn't feel like enough of a step no. forward to me. And I would also say before we the tanking uh, conversation, we we touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, it, it's not. It's not possible in football. I don't. I don't think. Uh, like you said, the GM can tank a season with, you know, just taking away all your good players and saying you have no choice. But honestly, if you're if you're a fan who thinks that now that they fired Patricia, they should just stop trying and cut everyone or whatever, I guess, and just sit, sit everything out, then my answer to you would be, well, you should have been rooting for Patricia to stay the whole season then. Because if you're worried about your draft pick and you're worried about a team list, you know, you want a team to listlessly sort of go through the motions. I think that keeping him and just riding it out and saying, all right, Matt, just do whatever. And we'll see what happens at the end would have been closer to tanking than what you're going to get in the, in the alternative. Cause if you fire a guy and everything's going bad, like you said, like we've said this whole show, it's going to get, you know, some winds in your sa- wind in your sails you're going to get a little more excited. If you're an NFL football player who has to go out there every day and hit people, you can't tank. Like, that would end up being, you can't play a football game 80% speed. You're going to get hurt. Every single guy on the field is going to leave in an ambulance. That's not how this works. So it's not like maybe, I don't know if you could do it in other sports. I know you can't do it in football. And I and I think that that's a conversation that I see a lot of times having with people. Like, why are they winning this? Why are they trying to win this game? And it's like, guys, like... If you wanted them to tank, you should have been rooting for them to keep Matt Patricia and everything as is, because I think that would have been, because that plan wasn't going anywhere and he wasn't going to change. So it would, it would have, you know, they would have finished the season listlessly and whatever, and it would have been what it was, and you'd have your draft pick. But like at this point, I, I don't know what your realistic ask would be on that front. You just can't ask them to show up and not play hard because that's just the opposite of even being on a football team to begin with. You can't do that. It's not a thing. 
Yeah, and I think that's true across all sports. Like I said, I don't think it's the coach or the players. I mean, I think if the general manager and ownership makes the decision to tank, you can start tanking that way and just yeah. sell off everyone. And like I mentioned, Garden Hire, that's yeah. what the Tigers basically did yeah. and what the Red Wings did. I mean, it's just play all the kids. Yeah, we're going right. to have a few rough years here. We don't have any choice. Let's get rid of as many guys as we can get rid of. And we'll, you know, fill the gaps for mm-hmm. a couple years. Like you can do that from a personnel perspective. Um, I, you could probably argue the Lions would have been better off doing that yeah. under Bob Quinn than right. what happened. But I don't. Yeah, I mean, these guys put in way too much work, and you saw the effort in the fourth quarter of a game that may not mean anything other than, like we said, just a nice moment for Daryl Bevel. Yeah. And those guys were right in that moment laying yeah. it out there. Mm-hmm. Like that was you know, Stafford's got the injured thumb, and there's guys hobbled. I mean, by this time of the year, everyone's hurt, and. Uh, they're certainly still playing hard, so I don't think that there's um, mm-hmm. any tanking happening. Uh, anything else? What else? <laughs> what else you want to knock off here? Is there? Uh, I mean, we talked about so much after the, yeah. the firing and where the direction of this franchise. Um, I just think I it's know. cool I mean, to it w- see guys that went through a really rough yeah. year. Um, the players, you know, like and and Daryl Bevel and all the coaches too. I mean, like you know, the guys. In the, it hasn't gone well. It's not going well. It's not going to end the way anybody wants it to end. But we do, I think, here on December seventh. Uh, I often find myself talking to people in just general parts of life, and I, I feel like we we've especially in football, we've sort of we haven't forgotten. I don't think, but I think we've moved further away from how uncertain everything really, really was in August. Or July, where I mean, when I say uncertain, I mean like no one knew what the hell was going to happen on any day. It was a day to day. Like, are we, are they even going to have enough bodies to field the team? I mean, we had the NFLPA stuff where they were like, we're not trying to do this if they're not going to protect us. All that stuff was flying around, and it was so hectic. And everybody on a team anywhere in the league had to pull, you know, pull together and figure out a way to get through it. And just to just to get to a game, what, you know, win or lose, whatever, it was just to get through it. And I think that, you know, for a team that's had a really rough go, they really haven't had a lot of those days. And I think that in that moment, you know what, like that, th- that was pretty genuine. It felt like it was not just, you know, I think guys were excited for Daryl Bevel, yes, but I think a lot of guys you saw were excited for, hey, it's nice to be able to get on a plane here after this and maybe have a couple beers on it and fly home and not be miserable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that. So it's it was neat to see that, I suppose. But no, I, I don't know how it's going to carry forward here. I still think a lot of a lot of problems were also on display in that game, which is just going to have to be their reality the rest of the year. Yeah, I also don't know. Like, there's always uh, an argument made this time of year for like carrying momentum from one year to the next. And I don't right. know that that's really yeah, a thing no, either. Not, <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. In between games yeah. and uh, a new coach and GM coming in. Um, yeah, I mean, I, well, here's one more I wanted to talk to yeah. you about before we get out of here because I thought it was interesting. The Lions have this some package deal going on at GM right now. Whoever's running, the, like, I don't know who's even making the <laughs> official calls. There's four guys reporting up to Rod Wood. Yeah, I'm assuming Lance Newmark and Kyle O'Brien are handling most of the like personnel decisions mm-hmm. on a day to day basis because that's sort of what they were doing. Um, Rob Lohman was more on the college scouting side. Mike Disner's their cap guru. Yeah. It sounds like they're all working together, but a couple of pretty interesting moves yes. headed into this yes. game as they released Isaac Nauta. They also released Marvin Hall, um, which I think that one caught. Yeah, that uh, was not a one with Hunter Bryant coming back. I don't know. I mean, I think that one makes sense. Uh, 
the Marvin Hall one was interesting, and then we kind of saw, you know, they, they got Jamal Agnew involved early or tried to. Uh, Sunday, Cephas had the big catch. Mm-hmm. He was out there a bunch. Sanu played some? fairly well, yeah. I guess. Uh, made some big catches. So what's your read on how all that went down with Marvin Hall? I mean, that was a guy we were talking up. Yeah, I, yeah. August. I mean, it. you know, I don't know how to look at it any other way at this point other than that they don't think that he's that good. I, you know, like that's the only thing I can come up with here. And they think that Sanu is better and... Uh, you know, maybe that's something where Daryl Bevel was like, I'd rather have him and, you know, that's what we'll do. I, I don't know that, you know, obviously maybe it's more complicated than that or something. I don't know all those answers, but you know, the whole idea of like, we got to get the younger guys out there. So we want to play Cephas. So we got to get rid of Marvin Hall. Well, I mean, like Marvin Hall's 27. Sanu is 31. I, that math doesn't work. So it's not, it's not about, you know, you could have played Cephas, and kept Marvin Hall. It wouldn't have been, you know, anything anybody would have been throwing a huge fit about, I guess. But, you know, maybe if they weren't planning on bringing him back anyway and they really wanted to make sure that there was no other option, that Cephas was going to have to play, you know, maybe that's maybe that's why they did that. I, I don't know. That was a little curious. Like you said, that didn't make any sense to me really at all. At all. I, But again, I'm not, a, you know, we're not there every day. So, you know, what we saw from Marvin Hall in camp was, I think, legitimate. He looked he looked really good at times. Um he was getting open. I thought better, you know, Cephas was doing this too. And, you know, we saw this from other guys as well, but I thought he was, I thought Marvin Hall was getting open consistently on underneath routes uh, against everybody. I, and obviously I know the Lions defense isn't very good, but like that's, it, it felt different to me. It felt like there, it felt like there was more in his game than they were, they were letting him, you know, sort of show. I mean, he's been this like deep shot guy who comes out there in like special packages and they run, you know, action for other people, and then he creeps out the back and he's open deep, right? That's been his thing. But And he said a couple times this year, like, I can do more, and I was more inclined to believe him. Maybe they weren't. And, you know, maybe that's the ultimate thing. You know, they cut – we talked about the thing when they when Fulgham started playing really well. You know, they picked Marvin Hall over Fulgham, I mean, bottom line on that one. And now they've cut both, and maybe Fulgham isn't as good as people thought he was either. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. Tough, weird one. But, you know, it makes sense to get Cephas out there for sure because right now, as we've said – you know, Galladay's situation being what it is, Cephas is the only guy that we can say is going to be here next year um, for certainty, as it is as it stands today. And I think we're we're in agreement that he's a pretty interesting player, not a perfect player, but a guy that could probably perform better than his fifth round. You know where you got him, and I think it's worth really really exploring that. Now he reminds me a little bit, Chris, of like where Awari a, a was last year at the end of the year. Like you, they got him out there and they gave him a ton True. of extra time, and it seemed to help a lot. And maybe. You know, maybe that's the plan here with Cephas is get him out there, let him even take his bumps uh, and let him carry that over. Because there is momentum player to, you know, for a player, you know, year over year like that. So, you know, maybe that can help him, you know, in this last month here for sure. Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was interesting. I don't even really hate the idea behind it. I thought it was ironic that the game unfolded the way it did because it would have been a perfect Marvin Hall. It would have been, yeah. <laughs> he probably would have taken at least one deep God, shot. You think he was throwing house, something but, at the wall watching that um, thing on TV? <laughs> yeah. God. Uh, so I thought that was a little ironic, but I also think it was interesting to, to you know, as we're sort of picking through uh, not just Bevel, but I mentioned on Twitter, I think Hank Fraley is a position coach, yeah, the offensive point. line guy that you'd like to keep around yeah. and you know, you're trying to figure out who might make sense for the next head coach to be here, for the next GM to be here. It was almost a move like some of those guys making those decisions right now mm-hmm. are kind of positioning themselves to appeal to the next GM and say, look, here's what we've done. 
here's what we think we can build from this. You know, yep. here's the moves we made to kind of squeeze it in there. And like, I think it, it sort of struck me as that, like, if you're going to say, all right, we're going to cut this guy because he's not going to be here next year. We want to get the young guys more reps. Like that's the thing you're saying, if you're planning to be around in April right. and August. Uh, so I thought it was interesting from that aspect. And, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the the front office is going to look like. I assume everyone's not coming back once the new that's team like, in here. That's like, you know, and obviously we'll have more time to get in that down the road and everything else, but, like, that's the question. It's like, are you going to start over over, or are you going to just bring a new person in here to lead what you have? Because, like, I got to say, like, at some point the revolving door of, like, why are you shuffling out the guy at the top and keeping everybody else? Like, I mean, are you are you going to start over all the way? Or are you going to just keep shuffling? I would assume that if you're a GM coming to talk with the Fords, wouldn't that be part of your... If you want to hire me, like, I want to come in here and fire everybody. I'm sorry. Like, that's what I want to do. Like, and that should be on the table. I don't know. You know what I mean? Or not maybe not fire. You you talk to people and see if there's people worth keeping. But, like, we're not going to just keep you because you're here and you know the place. Like, that that to me feels like it can't be a thing. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that is a thing. That's the thing where it's like... You know, they've talked so little about this that it's hard for us to sort of gauge what Sheila and, you know, Rod would want. Uh, you know, it's it's tough to it's tough to sort of guess at right now. Yeah, I, I it'll be interesting. I mean, Mike Disner, as I mentioned, is their cap guy. He's uh I think he's from like Bloomfield or something. He's yeah. a local guy. Um Bob Quinn brought him in and and when our national yeah. uh, reporters ran a rising stars sure. list in so the maybe, NFL yeah, earlier. Maybe there is he was on there. Right, yeah. <laughs> Kyle O'Brien is a guy who uh, generated a little bit of uh, interest from the Giants when they had a GM mm-hmm. opening a couple years ago, and Lance Newmark has been there for. I mean, maybe that. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what you're referring well, to. Well, it's just Lance like Newmark's you're not going to get. Yeah, you're not going to get the default. Like, well, this piece, this person knows the lay of the land here, or whatever, so they can help me. I just maybe there are. Yeah, like you said, I mean, maybe there are people worth keeping, and you, and you owe it to yourself as a GM to sort of go through there and check check all that, of course. And that often happens, and we see that. But like, I just. I just don't think that you can go into this telling a GM like you have to keep certain people. And I don't think the Fords would do that. But like we saw that with Jim Caldwell. So I don't know. That's where I have paused sometimes where it's like you sort of made your GM keep a coach whether he wanted to or not is what it certainly felt like. And that's a pretty rough way to start. Um, not to say that it would be the same thing with the personnel person or something like else. But I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting thing to sort of watch and see how it goes. Yeah. And uh as we said with the Stafford situation, we've got several months at least. Well, at least with the coach and GM, it's, we'll probably have at least a few weeks of speculation. Yeah. And then Stafford, we've got a few months, and the draft, obviously, we've got we have a lot. Yeah, five months. So we've got a lot to talk about here in the on coming shows. And, and we thank you again for listening to this one and for checking us out, subscribing, rating, reviewing us on. Uh, Google and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and uh, a bunch of other spots. As as we always mention, if we're not showing up on your podcast app of choice, other than the athletic one, we know it's not <laughs> there. Um, but if we're not showing up on your podcast app of choice, uh, let us know. We'll see what we can do. Um, and we'll uh, be back at it. We got the late Sunday oh, time slot for the Packers. <laughs> on, uh, It'll be dark 14, out. So, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Jesus. So, hey, you got to get that national TV audience for the playoff. Push, there you man. go. <laughs> get more eyes on yeah. it. Uh, so we'll be back next week to see if uh, Daryl Bevel can carry over this momentum or if uh, we're back to back to normal yeah, right. <laughs> things around here. So uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.